Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke. I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit in honor of the Lord's word. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The church had their annual Christmas pageant with all the kids, and apparently one of the boys desperately wanted to be an animal that was not featured normally, and he said to the pageant director, I'd like to be an alligator, please. I don't think he said it quite like that. Uh, I'd like to be an alligator. And the director said, what about a sheep? Gators aren't really part of that area. Of, so what about a sheep? And the boy said, no, uh, I'd like to be an alligator, please. And she said, well, hold on, how about a, how about a donkey? And he said, no, I'm thinking an alligator. And she said, how about a camel, please? How about a camel? And the boy stopped and pondered and thought a minute and said, what about a werewolf? And... <laughs> The director said, how about an alligator? (laughs) And so thus, this year at my home church, Lawrenceville First United Methodist, their traditional Christmas pageant had the first time ever their traditional Christmas alligator. That's an actual true story that happened. But it made me think, we we have so many Christmas traditions. Uh, Some have been around for a while, some we just made up, like the alligator. Families or churches or towns, we've all got our traditions. And I've heard from from a lot of you over the last couple of weeks about the way that you celebrate this time of year. 
Traditions, like, and raise your hand. If the, do you do Christmas pajamas? Raise your hand. Anybody in here do that? Don't be shy. We know everybody does it. Okay. Uh, I've heard other traditions like a gingerbread house building contest. I think that's awesome. And one, yeah, the hand went up in the back. I don't know if that's for this. Um, I've also heard a tradition of making pancakes in the morning shaped like snowmen. I think that's awesome. I think that's something I'd like to do. Adair and I don't have many Christmas traditions yet. This is our third Christmas together. Uh, But we have started something that is a little bizarre. We've started ordering our annual British Christmas pudding. Uh, and if you've ever had that, it's not pudding. Um, it is a steamed cake with dried fruit in it. Uh, and I know you're probably going to go buy one now that I've described it. It is kind of bizarre. The first bite, the first bite is bizarre, but once you've taken the second and third and fourth, it gets better. Uh, but that's kind of, I don't know where that came from. We just started buying it, and for some reason, we like it. And so that's kind of becoming a tradition for us. Uh, I really do, though, love the Christmas traditions. And, and more than that, more than the traditions themselves, I love learning why they exist. I love learning about the context and the origin of the tradition. Like learning about the Christmas alligator. Like just knowing that there's a Christmas alligator in some Christmas pageant somewhere is enough for all of us, right? Like it, it just is. But knowing that kid's art of negotiation makes it so much better. Like that kid is, watch out for that guy. Knowing, I, I, I heard the other day that one family wraps the doors to the kid's room with wrapping paper on Christmas Eve. And that sounds like a great tradition. And then I learned that actually that was a way to stop them from getting out and getting into the presents uh, before it was too late. And so I love learning the why. My friend loves watching It's a Wonderful Life every year. And it's a tradition. But when I asked why the tradition exists, he told me that he had a banker in his family who fell on hard times. And every year the movie gives him hope that some who find themselves in similar situations just might receive the angelic assistance that they need at this time of year. To some, it's just a movie, an annual tradition. To others, it's a little bit more. And I love learning about Christmas traditions. But more than that, I love, I love knowing why they exist, the context, the origin. Our story from Luke chapter 2 is a Christmas tradition. And I know that because if I had read, if Connor had read from Ezekiel or Revelation or something, it wouldn't go over well in here. That's not why you're here. It's tradition that we read the story in its entirety from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, about the census to Mary and Joseph to the end, to the birth, to the manger. We always need to read about the after party with the shepherd and the angels who sing and share, do not be afraid for I bring you good news, a savior is born. And it's tradition that we We begin all that with verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered so they can be taxed. Honestly, a verse like that should probably be left out. Caesar doesn't really affect the nativity. I'm sure you have nativity sets at home. My mom has a lot of them. Olive wood nativities, hand-stitched ones, stone-carved. Nativities featuring animals. There's a bear nativity, a penguin nativity. They're all out there. Don't, don't look at me like I'm crazy. I know some of you have those. But was Caesar Augustus ever one of those figurines? Absolutely not. There was no, never a polar bear nativity featuring a polar bear Caesar in a toga and a wreath of leaves. This never happened. Caesar Augustus is nowhere to be found in our nativities all around our homes. So we really should cut that verse out, I think. But we don't, because it's tradition. We have to read it from verse 1. And if we dig just a tiny little bit, we realize why 
Luke left it in. And the why gives it so much more meaning to me. The context gives us greater understanding as to what is actually happening for Luke in this story. You see, 40 years, around 40 years before Jesus' birth, there was a guy named Julius Caesar, and thanks to Shakespeare, we all know who that is. Julius Caesar was assassinated. And after his assassination, I mean, the whole world went nuts, the whole known world, and the poet Virgil wrote a prophecy. This is what it says. This is 40 years before Jesus was born. The turning of the ages is near. The destined hour of world history is approaching. The divine king of salvation, for whom mankind has waited since the time of the pharaohs, is on the way. He will establish an empire of peace and lead us into the golden age for the blessing of a renewed humanity. And in nature, all will be renewed. Poisonous plants and snakes will disappear. The fields will become a paradise and the ox and the lion will dwell together in peace and lands and seas and depths of heaven will rejoice. And soon after, Julius Caesar's grandnephew, a guy named Octavius, would rise to power and prominence and some would begin to ask, is this the one who was promised? The one to come. Priests began addressing him with prayers. The Roman parliament gave him the divine title Augustus, which means worthy to be worshipped. Temples were built, sacrifices offered, and at one point a strange star would shine in the heavens, and some would declare that this means that Augustus is the turning point of all time. And the poet Virgil once again would raise his voice, declaring loudly, this is the one, the prince who's been promised again and again, surely Augustus is the world's Lord and Savior. And they would celebrate that moment with a celebration called an Advent And Rome would throw an Advent celebration unlike any other where a royal choir would sing a hymn of praise. Augustus has brought the golden age to the world. May the Prince of Peace and his age last with increasing splendor from age to age, now and forever. For Augustus is the Lord. Augustus is the Savior of the world. This is good news for all people. Hmm. Sounds kind of familiar to me. Because not long after that, according to Luke, in those days, a decree went out from the same emperor and savior, Caesar Augustus, that the whole empire was going to be counted. Luke mentioned Caesar as a bit of background because for Luke, this story is a tale of two lords, two kings, two Caesars. And for Luke, in the very shadow of Caesar Augustus, in the shadow of the Roman savior of humankind, in the context of ultimate power and authority and military might, the real Messiah is born. The real Lord, the real savior, born underneath another star, born with a hymn from a different choir, singing the real savior has been born and he is the one who was promised. The divine king of salvation, the savior of humanity, the turning of the ages is at hand. But it has nothing to do with a throne or a parade or a crown. It has everything to do with the most humble and helpless form of humanity, an infant. This is the Prince of Peace. And it is this child upon whom the turning of the ages rests and who will ultimately and decisively declare grace and mercy to all who would have it. For Luke, the story matters but so does the context. And this little, little forgettable verse changes everything. It changes everything. Because in the shadow of political and military power, 
Luke declares to the world that it is this child, a helpless baby, it is this Jesus who bears the titles of Lord and Savior more authentically than Augustus ever could, than any world leader or system of governance or organization ever would. And this is the story we tell. Sure, the context is different today. Caesar has changed. Political parties have morphed. Technology is different. Countries have shifted. People have moved. The earth has gotten smaller while the universe has continued to get bigger. But the miracle of the incarnation is that God surpasses context. That Christ remains Lord. And this Christ, this Prince of humility and peace, this usher of mercy and grace, this turning point of time itself, it all begins tonight. And it all begins in a manger. It begins in humility, in weakness, in the shadow of its opposite. Author Brennan Manning puts it this way, God entered into our world not with the crushing impact of unbearable glory, but in the way of weakness, vulnerability, and need. On a wintry night in an obscure cave, the infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us to get close to him. Friends, the turning point of the world has its humble beginnings in this night, this advent And Christmas that we celebrate, salvation is here. God has come to us to show us what true love looks like. And no one is unredeemable. No one is unsavable. Though the darkness is vast, a light shines in our midst. A shoot from a stump. A stream in the desert. Emmanuel is born. God is with us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never quench it. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Let us pray. Gracious God, may our hearts proclaim what the angels have shared that unto us is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord, Emmanuel. God is with us. May our hearts proclaim it this evening. And may we carry that in our hearts, knowing that you could have left us alone. You could have left us in the dark but you shared one very bright light with us and that light has changed everything. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.